Uh, this, this week also, I played a basketball game for the first time in five years. And my knee today, if you see my knee buckle, it's because of that, I know. There's a lot of, a lot of sympathy I can feel coming towards your old, decrepit pastor. But not just that, I've been wrestling with, man, I'm getting old, I don't know if I'm the same. But then we have all of the news, I'll let you know that I, and it's not, I don't know that anyone in here is guilty of this this week, but I've been fielding some phone calls and some, uh, maybe some kind of passive aggressive social media posts to, to make sure that we know the truth about all that's going on in the world, whether it's Afghanistan, whether it's, you know, COVID and all that. And, and so I thought, you know what, I really, I really just, it's been a week of ups and downs. I, I've gotten so much medical advice from so many doctors in this church that I didn't know I had. I, there's a, so many medical advice and, and, and political uh, just experts all over the internet that uh, I came across, I want to show you a picture, and this kind of summed up to me. Uh, one person was stabbed at COVID anti-vaxxers, counter-demonstration, which would mean people that are pro-vaccines. Uh, uh, they, they fought, and, and the best way to save lives when it comes to COVID is to go to a knife fight, right, and to stab people. That is the way you solve things, and I just thought, you know what? It's getting to the point where we're so divided, we're so, everybody is so sure we know what is right and what is wrong that I thought, you know what, I just need to solve some of these issues for us today. I want you to come in, leave lighter. So, so I scoured the internet for the truth, okay? I wanted to solve this COVID vaccine thing. I was, thought I'd start there because some of y'all have questions. You're, you're so anti-vax and some of you are so pro-vax that, that you're ready to start a knife fight, right? And so here is the good news. If you'll go to vaxfacts.info forward slash barbados3 slash 143.html. The solutions are on that website, okay? I found it, and no one wrote that down, so I'll read it again, okay? Vaxfacts, it sounds legit, vaxfacts.info at barbados forward slash barbados3 slash 143.html, okay? Um, and that's where you can find the answers and the truth you've been craving. That's where if you will go there and follow that, then you'll be confident every argument you're gonna win, every single decision, you're not gonna have this angst of, oh my gosh, it's all there. No, I'm just kidding, obviously. I do wish I had bought VaxFacts.com because that seems like, it's probably already bought, but it seems like something that would make money right now. But I was thinking about how Every single person, and me included, if we're not careful, we get into this, this mindset that not only do we think we're right, even if we're not passionately screaming it on the internet, but we're at least in our own our hearts, we're beginning to think, you know what, I figured it out, I'm right, they're wrong. And, and by the way, some of us might really have, be on to something more than other people, um, but not only does it concern me that all of us think we're right, and that all of us are convinced we know who's wrong, what really concerns me is not just what we, on any issue we think we know what we're right, is that most of us have determined simply by where we're focusing, where we're worrying, what we're thinking about, that we know what is the most important thing right now to be upset about, to be passionate about. 
In fact, some of us are more uh, politically minded now than we've ever been. Some of us are more health conscious now than we've ever been because we've determined that we know right now the, the, the one thing that needs to be solved that I need to be an expert on is uh, the vaccine or it's COVID or it's Afghanistan or whatever it is. We have made this determination, you know, if this, is all, this is what I need to make sure that I proclaim, I've figured this out. And, and the danger here is that, is that some of us, it's not even those big issues, right? Some of us, it's, you know what, my, my parenting, I've just got to figure out this parenting thing. I've got to figure out, if I could just get this right, then my life would be okay. My life would be okay if I could just make sure my kids are safe, my kids are headed in the right direction. Maybe it's your job, you're overwhelmed at your work. And, and you get in your mind that if I could just solve this one issue, and even if no one else knows it, I, I've, I've identified the right issue because... Not only is it a mistake to think that we know the answers to whatever issue it is, it, it, for most of us, it's a mistake to think we've identified the key issue in life. And that's really what I want to talk about is most of us are seeking some sort of peace in life. We're seeking some sort of um, purpose or, or if I could just get this right, my life would be okay. My life would be where I want it to be if I could just get the right job or if I could just know that I'm gonna be able to pay for my kids' college or that my kids are gonna be okay or that my, my job course, my career is on the right path or that I'm gonna find the right person or whatever it is, we get this mindset that if I could just fix this, or maybe it is political, if this would just go away, if we could just solve COVID now, some of us have this mindset, if we could just solve COVID, life would be great. Life would be perfect. Today I wanna to talk about the most important thing in the world. And that is no lie. And in many ways, the reason that I love just going straight through the book of Genesis, and I hope that many of you have at least followed through most of the thought process here because it hits on a lot of things we may skip over. And today it's just kind of a short interlude. But it's so key to getting us back focused on what God wants us to focus on to reminding us that with all the craziness in the world, that really there is one thing first and foremost, there is one problem, there is one thing that if you don't get this right, it does not matter what else you get right in life. It does not matter if you get your kids right, if you get your relationships right, if you get your work right, if you get everything right and you miss this, then you missed everything. You will never have the peace you wanted. You will never have the life you wanted. You'll never feel the freedom or the shalom or whatever it is that you want out of life unless you get this. So we're gonna pick up right after um, the story last week. Last week, um, these three men came to Abraham and we've been going through the life of Abraham. This is in Genesis. Today, we're gonna be picking it up in Genesis uh, chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, verse 16. But at the beginning of chapter 18, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, are just chilling out. They're enjoying life a little bit. And three men come to them and they quickly realize that one of these men is not like the other. One of these men is what we would call a theophany. It is God has appeared in the flesh. And so we would even say uh, as Christians, this is most likely a Christophany. This is Jesus Christ, most likely a pre-incarnate uh, I, God coming down to this earth. And, and, and so it must be important. And, and so that what they say is they tell Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they say, listen, you are gonna be the father and the mother of nations. 
You are going to, my, my, what I'm doing in this, this, this world is going to come through your descendants, through your children, through, and it's going to be a miraculous birth. They're already too old. They're, they're, he's over, uh, he's 100 or, or 99. She's 90 and, and things have already stopped uh, working in that department. And so he's going to start them up and they are going to have this miraculous birth. And this is going to be the, the direction of how God is going to bring his relationship, his love, his purpose, his everything he wants is going to go through this promise. And he's going to fix the problems that started in Genesis and, and continue to this day. He's going to fix them through a lineage. In other words, he has invited the, the solution into the history of the world. He is going to interact and he's not just going to, to do a reset anymore and kick the, the sandcastle over and rebuild it. He did that in Genesis 6 with Noah and the ark and all that. But the problem is, is that man has rebelled. You and I have rebelled. And we fight this to this day. We have decided God has his way. He told us how to live because he wanted us to live in fellowship with him. But we said, you know what? Did God really say that? Did God really want that? I think I know better than God. And we did our own thing. And so we separated ourselves from God. And by separating ourselves from God, now life is just turmoil. And, and, and so all of Genesis is kind of laying the groundwork to how God is going to fix this. And there have been hints dropped all over the place. And so we're going to start off in 16 and we're going to get what is called a soliloquy. Okay. Do y'all know what a soliloquy is? It's fun to say. It's hard to say. Soliloquy. A soliloquy is the part in a, in a play where the one person just stops and starts talking to the, to the audience, right? And everyone else still may continue, but all of a sudden you're getting some insider information from one of the characters or an area, and they're just talking straight to the readers or the listeners or the audience, and, and the people in the play don't know it's happening. So the first thing is I start off, I want you to understand the literary device that's being used here has changed. It's no longer just a straight narrative. Now all of a sudden, it, we're gonna have this kind of inter, this interstitial, so to speak, this kind of transition. And the reason this is put in, you've gotta understand this is no longer like how, this was put in here for a reason. And it's gonna be God giving a soliloquy. God's gonna give you some of his inner thoughts on why the next part is important. And so we should understand this is not, this is one of those stories that you may kind of just blow by, but understand what, what is about to happen here is very important in the story. So much so that when you think about how this, how the, how the writer would even know this, okay? Now we say that Moses wrote Genesis. What we mean is Moses most likely oversaw the writing of Genesis. He probably wasn't writing with a pen, but he probably had commissioned scribes and commissioned people to write this down. And it was also being told orally. It was being recited and perfected orally so that they could just keep telling it. And, and some say it was, it was written down maybe even a thousand years or more after this. But at some point, the guy writing it down or, or the person writing it down, who knows, right? The person writing it down decided, before I go to this next story, I'm going to write the thoughts of God. I'm going I'm to make sure that, that everyone, including Abraham, it's important that he knows this, but it, everyone reading this, which would have been people who had come out of the Exodus and, and it was one, they were going into a, a promised land trying to figure out their relationship with God, I'm gonna make sure they know this, okay? And this is what happens. Then remember, there are three men with Abraham and his wife. It says, then the men set out from there, this is verse 16, and they looked down towards Sodom. Now we've, 
We've, been, uh, we've interacted with Sodom a couple of times in the story already. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. So Abraham decides, I'm going to help these guys know where they're going. There are four of them, the three men and Abraham walking towards Sodom. They're up uh, um, in the hill country and they're walking down towards Sodom, which is on a plain near the Dead Sea. And the Lord gives this soliloquy. The Lord says, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become great in a great and mighty nation, and that all nations from the earth shall be blessed through him in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household and keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has promised. So the promise is gonna go through Abraham. Should I reveal to him what's about to happen? Should he know before it happens what's about to happen, why it's gonna happen? Because he probably needs to know if he's gonna be the promise. If he's gonna be the one that, that is fathering and bringing up the, the boys and girls that are going to create these nations and going to rule the world or going to bring hope to the world at least, they should probably know some things about me. So maybe I'll show them what I'm about to do and why I'm about to do it. I'm going to give them an object lesson. And he's, he's giving this mind and he's telling us in this soliloquy, I'm going to let Abraham know beforehand because it's important that he knows why, and he doesn't just see it happen, he knows why it happens. Then the Lord said, because, and this is, he's probably talking to Abraham, this is what he says, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether or not altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went down to Sodom, but Abraham stood still with the Lord. So Abraham and the Lord God stay there and these two men keep walking and it's kind of an ominous scene. And God says, there are people in these two cities that are victims and they have been praying and crying out and there are people in the surrounding areas that have been crying out and they are victims of, of rape, of sexual assault, of horrific things. And no one has stood up. No one has, has decided, I'm going to be the one to intervene. I'm not going to let this stand. In fact, everyone has just decided, I'm going to watch and I'm going to I'm maybe even profit off of it. And Abraham's got skin in the game because Lot, his nephew, is there. And Lot, his nephew, a little side note, has 10 people in his family, okay? He's got him and his wife. He's got two sons. He's got two daughters. He's also got two unmarried daughters and he's got two or two married daughters and he's got two son-in-laws. He's got 10 people in his family. That's gonna play a part at the end of the story. So Abraham hears that the place where his nephew lives has got, and he loves his nephew. He's got Skin in the game that his nephew is okay, but all of a sudden he hears what's going on in there is so evil that the judgment of God has now come to those cities. And so Abraham has been invited in by God to speak into the situation, to give his opinions, to kind of process, well, why would God judge these two cities? How bad is it? And he's watching these two men walk who are going to make the decision. And if these men decide on behalf of God that the outcry, that the prayers are true, that God is going to investigate, then, then God is going to destroy these two, what we would call cities, but really they were city-states. They were nations. They, were, they, they had the authority in that time of, of what we would consider a nation, even though they were small. They were city-states, okay? Now, 
The first thing, I, before we even get into it, is I do at least want to point out that there's this in, an, about to be an unusual thing happen here. God is going to allow Abraham to intercede. You know what that word means, intercede? To speak on behalf of, to pray for, to, to actually have a voice for those that are either far from God or for some reason they are struggling, they, they, they don't have a voice for themselves. And, and God is going to invite, the whole point of this is he's, he's inviting Abraham to be a part of this. And so the first thing I at least want us to, to note is that God invites us into his actions, that God listens to the prayers of intercession. And in and, and today's uh, day and age, there's a lot of jokes about, oh, prayers and thoughts, thoughts and prayers, prayers and thoughts, thoughts and prayers. That, that's a, almost a joke, as if God doesn't really act when we pray. And so the first thing I at least want, to, want you to understand is when you take a, a, the, the biblical worldview that God is moving in this world and that God has a plan that is going to to eventually reconcile us to him and fix everything, either in this world or in the next, that God is moving and he has invited you in to pray. And so we see this idea that we should be praying for those that are far from God. We should be praying for those that, that are not thinking like we are. We should be praying for, for God to move in the hearts of the Taliban, to move in the hearts of those that we think are evil and we just wanna see destroyed we should be instead praying. Do you know that the man who wrote most of the New Testament was at one point the greatest enemy to the gospel? In fact, he oversaw the killing of Christians, what we would consider uh, the Taliban or ISIS, or ISIS-K now. All of these things. That's who the early church was praying Man, God, get a hold of that guy, not God, kill that guy. Maybe they were, some were praying God, kill that guy, but what God ended up doing was listening to the prayers of these people being persecuted in the early church. And it starts with this idea that goes all the way back to Genesis of Abraham saying, listen, or God saying to Abraham, listen, I want you to know this. We get a peek inside God's mind. I, should I tell him or not? Should he just watch and see? No, I'm gonna tell him. Because he's not asking, should I do this? What he's saying is, I'm going to do this, but Abraham, I want you to see why. I want you to see how I work and understand how I think. And so Abraham's watching these two men on their journey down. And he's going to ask the question. This is the key verse of this passage. Abraham drew near. He gets close to God. And he says, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Will you sweep away the right? And this is a question that you and I still wrestle with today. Is God, God is, he, is he gonna ever destroy the wicked? But is he also, is, is he going to, would God allow the good people to get hurt with the, the bad people? Would, would God really allow the righteous to get swept away in some, because he knows Lot, he knows his nephew's down there and Lot's a good guy, he knows him. And the point of this, session, this section is Abraham's invited in. This is how God works. God's about to judge the unrighteous. He's about to judge the wicked. And Abraham, if you're going to, to be the one who tells your kids, this is how God is. Sometimes they're gonna see judgment. Sometimes they're gonna see harsh things. I want them to know my heart and my mind and how to be reconciled. Now I'm going to uh, 
put in, this is the appropriate time for me to introduce to you a concept that I bring in every once in a while. This is Joel Halpin's um, moral line between Hitler and Mother Teresa, okay? This is what I'm gonna introduce you today, okay? Because this is how we think, and so I'm gonna need two volunteers. I need a woman and a guy, okay? Not everyone at once, I'm sorry, you got to. All right, we got Megan up here. Megan is Mother Teresa, Phil is Hitler, of course. So, <laughs> Phil, you're over here, you're over here. All right. Now, just, I just wanna put in a picture of what we see. There are some, there are some things being assumed by they're all a little too good. Just to spread a little bit. Hitler and Mother Teresa, we're going to separate them a little bit, okay? There's, there's some things being assumed here. Abraham has made this quick judgment on righteous and unrighteous, okay? He's assumed he, he, he knows who the righteous are and the unrighteous are, or the wicked are, okay? And I will tell you, that's, we start where Abraham starts. All of us have this view of, of course, we know who the wicked and we know who the unrighteous. So, God, why would you destroy the whole city? When we know, I know lots in there. I know some good people are in there. Why would you do this? So the first thing I want you to do is I want you to think you've got this pastor up here. Some of you think your pastor's perfect. I'm not, okay? But you've got to make a judgment. Where would I go in the Mother Teresa, Hitler, Hitler's bad. Mother Teresa is about as high as we get on the, the goodness scale. Where y'all, by applause, let's, let's say, would I be here? Should I? All right, right here, Jeremy, is this good? All right, is this too far? Some of y'all think I'm getting, okay, right here, okay? We're gonna put me right here. I'm a little more than halfway away from Hitler, okay? Good. Now you got a judgment to make, right? Every one of you has to decide where are you in relation to our, most of us, I'm gonna assume, everyone's this side of Hitler, okay? That's a judgment call, but I'm gonna go with it. Most of us, all of us, I would say, are this side of Mother Teresa, okay? So when you're thinking about good and bad, all of us have this thing of I'm somewhere in between. And then all of a sudden now, I'm the pastor's here. Now, some of you may think I've heard enough sermons to know I'm probably on the right or on, the, on this side of, I guess that's stage left, okay? So stage right, you're, I don't know, it's yours, on, on your left. I'm an idiot, let's qualify that, okay? Y'all, y'all would put yourself here. Now, some of you think, man, Joe's a pretty good guy. I've seen him do some good stuff. And so you put yourself here, but you're probably still halfway away from, no one's going too close to putting themselves down near Hitler, right? And so we make these judgments, okay? So everybody right now, be thinking. You can tell your neighbor, have a little fun. Where would you put? Just say right side or left side of Joel, okay? I want to know. Just tell, don't tell me, but tell, tell somebody, okay? Okay, good. Somebody told somebody. Uh, I'm just making sure you're awake. Now, here's the thing. Now you've got to decide. If we were to put another line here of where God should destroy the world, where should God judge the wicked? Where would you put that line? Would it go on this side of me? How many of y'all think? Would it go on this side or on this side? Most of us, I hope, would say, let's put it on this side, right? And most of us would put it on this side of wherever you put yourself on this line. We have this mindset that unless you have just done some horrific things and you have not even, I mean, unless you just are wicked, wicked down there, most of us would say, man, I barely made it, but I'm pretty confident I made it. And you got this kind of, okay, let's give them a head and we can let <laughs> Hitler can sit down now. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Don't applaud Hitler. Okay. Now I know it's a ridiculous thing to even mention the H word in a sermon, but it's for a point. And my point is this, is that 
This assumption has not been outwardly said, but it's something we all think of, and that is that we know who the righteous and the unrighteous are, and we know where we fit on that scale. And Abraham has made this assumption. He's made this assumption, and God, the whole point of God uh, taking him through this exercise is because God's gonna say, let's work out and let's figure out where the line goes. Let's figure out what really is righteous and unrighteous for God in his view. So we're gonna pick up in verse 24, we're gonna try to find this line and you're gonna see Abraham is gonna begin negotiating with God. Suppose there are 50 righteous people within the city. Will you sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Now let's say there's 100 people in this city, okay? Arbitrary, but it doesn't matter, okay? Could be a thousand. The, the principle will still say. But if, it's, if there's a hundred people, what if the line is right on the middle? God, would you put the line in the middle so that, so that would you really say that if there are 50 people that are good, you would you'd condemn the whole city? Surely the line is there enough that you wouldn't do that. He goes on to say, and far be it for me for you to do such a wicked thing or to do such a thing. To, the right, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare um, as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right. And so Abraham at this point is standing next to God and he's kind of lecturing God on, listen God, you gotta know right and wrong and, and, and I know there are 50 people. And so, God, so Abraham is trying to explain to God, listen, you can't put the line here, okay? God, I know righteous and unrighteous and you can't put the line here. God's just kind of silent. And in the silence, God speaks. All right, if I find 50 righteous in the, in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham's like, whew, this is going good. He's, only, he's got 10 people that are, are, are on his mind that he wants to save. He wants to make sure a lot get, makes it out of here. Now he's got 50. That, that feels good. Abraham says, whoa, 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 whoa. Now he, he, he kind of gets to this humility. Who knows if it's real humility? Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Who am I but dust? And as a kid, anytime I would read that, I would read it as I am but dust instead of but dust. Anyway, just to know how 10-year-old Joel thinks, I can never read that without at least pointing that out. So if you're under, if you're a, a, a juvenile male in here, which is all of you, that's funny, right? I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose 50 uh, um, are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? So there's another 45. And he said, I will not destroy it for 45 that are there. And again, he spoke, suppose 40 are there. And God answers, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. And he said, oh Lord, don't be angry. I'm speaking, I'm maybe overstepping my bounds here. Suppose 30 are found there. God says, I won't do it for 30. I'll move that line. I mean, he's moving that line. If there are just 30 people there, I'll save the whole, whole thing. Now, Lord, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Oh, Lord, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak again just one more time. If 10 are found there, if you can find 10 people, and in his mind, he's like, I know there are 10 good people because I know 10 people there. If 10 people are there, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Okay. 
Now at this point, rather than continuing, and Abraham may have said, what about, five, you know, let's, let's, what if one, you know, he, maybe he, he knows, hey, the brother-in-laws aren't that great, but, but I know Lot's good. I don't know what he's thinking. But God leaves. The Lord leaves. And, and what would have been ominous in this story is that Abraham is still watching these two men because he's up. He's still watching these two men walk down there. And God's tone hasn't changed. And in fact, what's interesting is that God is still going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but he's not going to, uh, he's actually going to do a whole different thing than what Abraham was asking, than save the whole place. But what I want you to see is that God had this, before God, and, and I hate to ruin next week when we get into chapter 19, but Sodom and Gomorrah, if you've not heard in the last 4,000 years, it gets destroyed, okay? In other words, this bartering to figure out who the righteous, where the line is. God has a very clear answer when it comes to where we put the line, and he puts the line on the other side of Mother Teresa. Let's be clear. This is what we find when, uh, when we go through the Bible, is that the unrighteous will eventually, this is uh, the next thing I want you to see, the unrighteous will eventually be punished. Okay? The unrighteous will eventually be punished, but we are all unrighteous. We are all unrighteous. Let's go. I'm going to skip back just a little bit. Um, I want to give you, again, this is the story of what's going on. In the New Testament, this gets clarified a little bit. In Matthew 5:48, this is what Jesus says. He's talking to people who have come to, to hear him preach. He gives a sermon on the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon. And in that sermon, he makes this, you must therefore be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. And this would have been stunning because they have an idea of who is good. There are religious people that are good. And he says, don't look at them. They are not good. You must be perfect. And then he tells another story in Matthew 7, 21. Or um, in 7, verse 21 and 23, every single Christian should know this story. There's a little three verses that Jesus tells to his followers. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who calls himself a Christian will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Okay, we got to do the will of God. What does that mean? He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name? We were preaching, God. Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many righteous, mighty works in your name? And Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so I want to take us back to how this whole story has unfolded. Before God ever had this discussion with Abraham, he had already told him in verse 15, I mean, chapter 15, verse 6, the most important, I would say, verse in Genesis is this key idea that was laid down in Genesis and was built out throughout the entire Bible. And that is, we all think we know what good and bad is, but in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, you remember God said, and said the Lord, that he believed, that is, Abraham believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. In other words, before any law has been given to Abraham, before any discussion of good and bad, Abraham was given his status as righteousness. It was put on him by God. In other words, 
Abraham was chosen not because he was the most righteous, not because he was the best person or, or did the mighty works or all that. It was because he believed and he trusted that everything that God was gonna do was gonna be through God and not his own doing. And so God would say, I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna, gonna do something crazy. You need to go and follow me to this new land. And, and it might take him a while. He might fail. He might, he might even doubt for a little bit, but eventually he would get there and God would say, thank you for believing. And he gave him a lot of grace to make mistakes along the way. And then he would say, hey, listen, you're gonna have a lot of descendants even though you're 100 and your wife has passed, she's barren. And she's, not only is she barren, but now she's, uh, she's passed the, the birthing stage. It's not, you know, it's gonna be miraculous. So in his mind, there's no way this can happen unless God does it. And so that we know this is gonna be all God giving this promise to Abraham. And he says specifically, you're going to be considered righteous, not because you are righteous, but because I am bestowing it on you. I'm giving it to you. And all throughout, even when Jesus begins to teach us, every time we talk about what is righteous, what is righteous, what we mean is, do you have the faith in God that he will make you righteous? It is not, have you been a good person? Have you been good enough to, to, to get into heaven? Have you been good enough to avoid judgment? It is always, the message is clear. It is always, have you trusted that the Lord is going to make you righteous? So the first thing I want you to know is the Bible is clear. There is gonna be a judgment. There is going to be a judgment with you and there is no way you're gonna be found guiltless. There's no way you're gonna be on your own innocent. Because all of us think we are more righteous or at least righteous enough to get in. And so God has this interaction with Abraham just to show him everything you thought you knew about what is good and that you're tempted to teach your kids if you're good enough, if you're a good person, God will love you, this and that. And all these things that, that might get taught to your kids, that's gonna filter into the, the whole you know, nations if that's what we teach our kids. And so he's saying you need to make sure when you teach your kids, it's trust God at every level. It's put your faith that Jesus will do what you can't do. God will do what you can't do. He will make you righteous. And every time you screw up, every time you're not good enough, every time you make the wrong decision, every time you doubt with your whole heart, but yet you still say, but I'm gonna trust God even though I don't even know how he can do this. Every time you do that, I'm gonna see it as you're my child. You are righteous. Chuck Swindoll has this quote. It's a very powerful quote. It says, God's love is infinite and his grace is free, but his mercy has an expiration date. I read that and I thought, man, that is a powerful statement. We need to understand that mercy is delayed justice. And all of us right now are living under delayed justice, if we're honest with ourselves. Um, Paul says it in Romans, he says, there's no one righteous, not one. You know, all of us right now have been given this mercy, this delayed justice so that we can say, God, I've been doubting. I've been going the wrong way, but I turn to you. I trust you. I need your righteousness, not my own. And that is the message from Genesis to Revelation. That is the message that God wants us to hear. That is what we call the gospel. But here's the good news. is you and I, even though we might have to stand before judgment, we will not stand alone. I want you to see ultimately Jesus intercedes for us. Ultimately, the story that God is weaving, however crazy you may think it is, 
It's the only way that ultimately makes sense. And that is, I know I'll never be good enough. I know I can never stand before God. And every story we have in the Bible, if you read Job, every time somebody stands before God and tries to justify himself, they end up mourning and they end up begging and pleading for mercy, more mercy. But ultimately, I want to read Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 through 25. It says this. It says, the former priest, or, or I'll start with verse 22. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Jesus has a better way than trying to be good enough, than trying to just be the best. The former priest were many in number, and they could, you know, they could go to God on your behalf. That was the thinking. Because they were prevented by death to continuing in office. The reason we had to have so many priests is because priests die. Priests go away. But he holds the priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Jesus died on a cross for your sins and he rose from the dead and he still lives to this day. He never dies. He is eternal. Therefore, your hope is eternal. Your intercessor is going to be there for you and for your great, great, great grandkids. It's going to be there forever. And this is what verse 25 says. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You are not on your own, even though you will never be righteous enough for God. And here's why I think this is important for us to know and why God, it's so important that God wanted Abraham to know before we ever get into this promise, before you start thinking, God, I'm not good enough, I don't deserve this. I wanna, I wanna give you an object lesson. And it's gonna be harsh. There's gonna be cities that are gonna fall. There are gonna be people that are going to be eternally judged because I have heard their prayers and I've seen the injustice. But I want you to see this and get a, a little check for yourself. If you think you're righteous, if you think that you can just have your family be good enough, achieve enough, do enough, so that you'll be okay without me. And what he shows us is that ultimately, if you wanna know what it means to have peace in life, if you wanna know the only thing that matters in life, it is not all that's going on out there right now. If you get all that right and you figure out, you, you find the website that has all the information, if you get all that right, and yet you miss your standing before God and you think, you know what, I got it right, I figured it out, I was smart enough, or I achieved enough, I did enough, you will find yourself someday judged by God. The mercy expiration date will come due. But this is good news because all of us who have spent our entire week trying to figure out, God, I got to solve this problem. I got to figure out how I'm going to pay the bills. I've got to figure out, you know, how I'm going to fix this relationship. I've got to figure out how I'm going to achieve all that I'm going to achieve. I can't rest. I can't stop. I can't do, I, I got to keep moving and I got to figure this out. I got to keep going and going and going until I can be good enough or so I can get close enough so that I can be just find this state of peace. But we never find it. We never get to that point. And if we do, it's for a second. And then all of a sudden the world crumbles around us. And so we, we live in this constant state of what is going on. Maybe God's not there. I see this and that. You know what? My, my relationships, they were, they were going good. Now they're not. We're coming out of this pandemic. Now we're not. We're all of these things. We think we're almost to peace. We think we're almost to it. And God has a different message. If you'll let all of that go for a little bit, let all that go. Trust me and understand that every solution in your life starts with you simply saying, God, I cannot do this. God, I am not good enough. God, I am not righteous. God, before I, I ever try to solve the world's problem, let me at least set myself right. And that is that I am not good enough for you. I'm gonna put all my trust in the fact that you died on a cross for me 
you rose from the grave. And if I need someone to intercede for me, rather than it being myself and trying to figure it out, I'm gonna go to Jesus and I'm gonna put 100% of my faith in Jesus can do what I cannot do. My hope for us as we look at this little message, this short little, just a few verses, is understand that God is trying to show Abraham all that you're about to carry, the burden of being the father of nations, is not all on you, it's on me. You have this, this freedom to enjoy this journey, to enjoy this life. You don't have to be the best mother. You don't have to be the best father. You don't have to solve every problem at work. You don't have to finish that stack of papers so that your boss will be happy with you. You don't have to, to, to solve your kids' problems at school. You don't have to do all of this. Now, you can, you can try to be wise, but just understand there's going to be so much grace that will cover you and your parenting, and your work, and your relationships, and everything you're going to face in life. You can live this life simply trusting that Jesus covers everything you cannot. There is no message in this world that will free you until you understand that message. You can spend your whole life watching the news trying to solve every little issue, but you don't have to. All you gotta do is get the one Thing right. Will God surely judge the, the right, wicked and the righteous? Yes, he will. But the good news is he has bestowed his righteousness on you through Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, my hope for this message is that all of us who walked into here with some sort of burden on our life, maybe we have been struggling to be the best employee possible. But yet we still didn't get the raise. We're still stuck in the same place we've been for, seems like forever. Some of us are just thinking, Lord, if I could just, if I could just get my kids, you know, if I could get their, their, their lives right, if I could get their grades right, if I could get them to the place they need to be, then I could just breathe at night. I could just love life but it never seems to happen. I don't ever seem to solve their problems. Lord, some of us have marriages or we have relationships with our parents or our kids or somebody. We have relationships that we think we're doing right. We think we're being helpful, but if we could just get it, it feels like life would be better, but it just never happens. Lord, there are some of us in here that work and work and work all week thinking that if I can just get to the bottom of that stack of papers, if I can just finish this week's work, then I can rest and I have relaxation, but it never ends. My hope for us is that we find peace and that we find joy in life like we never could simply because we decide, I don't have to solve the world's problems. I simply have to trust in the Savior that will. Lord, there's so much freedom in life to be lived for the people in this room but it will never be lived if we only go after our achievements, if we only go after what we can do. And so Lord, I pray for just a spirit of freedom to overcome us. And Lord, we'll never be able to truly appreciate who you are, that you are a holy God that expects so much more from us, but, but rather than expecting us and leaving it to us on our own devices, you made us holy, you made us righteous, you made a way where there was no way, you made it so that we can love and be in fellowship with a holy God. So Lord, we worship you today 
And in just a moment, we're gonna stand and worship. And as we do that, we're not gonna be overwhelmed with guilt. Instead, we're gonna be overwhelmed with how good you are to us, how much righteousness, how much goodness, how much grace, how much mercy you've given us so that we can say, God, it's not me, it's all you. Thank you, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.